For the sake of our guests, um, we are in a series in Ezra and Nehemiah, and I want to invite everyone, if you take your copy of God's Word and open it to Nehemiah chapter 2, um, the story of Ezra and Nehemiah is it follows the return of God's people from exile in Babylon. And um, God, through his great love for his people, had exiled his people out of Judah and into Babylon because of their sin and rebellion toward him. This was discipline. The Lord was chastening his people, but he wasn't finished with his people. He doesn't give up on his people. The Lord was bringing them back. See, God had made a promise all the way back in Genesis 3 that that through the, the nations of Abraham, a redeemer would come. And God was faithful to his promise. Last week we saw that God is always faithful to his promise. And through his promise, he preserved a remnant Israel for his people. That through Israel would come a redeemer for all the nations of the earth. And as the narrative goes on in, in the book of Ezra, we saw uh, the first wave of exiles returning from Babylon into Jerusalem. And what did they do? But they reinstituted temple worship. They rebuilt the walls of the temple. And in this glorious moment, the temple was complete and people were weeping and, and, and howling for joy because this was the glorious time of the temple being reborn. God was bringing his people back. Then in the pages of Nehemiah, as we began last week, we saw Nehemiah when he heard about the destruction of the walls and considered that again, he was struck afresh by God in in prayer and in fasting for days to cry out to God, to ask him for favor before a pagan king that that he might be able to go. Now, and again, last week we talked about how this was a huge thing to ask for Nehemiah. He was right. He was right to be fearful because people, first of all, they don't appear sad and sorrowful before the king because that might reflect poorly on the king. And so yet he had the courage of the Lord and he had prayed, as we just heard about during worship. He prayed that God would grant him favor. And I want to ask you, how does God, how does this happen that the very king, King Artaxerxes, the very king that had stopped the building of the temple in Ezra chapter 4, you can read about that. How does this king who stopped the building of the temple, who made it cease and desist, now this same king, pagan king, he's He's making the way for Nehemiah to go. Not only does he commission him to go, he, he sends a letter with him for all the materials to build the wall. Not only to build the wall, but all the materials for Nehemiah to build a, build a personal house for himself. And he made safe passage. He sent palace guards with him on this dangerous three-month journey from the capital of Susa, which was the very centerpiece location of this huge Persian empire where Nehemiah had a great job as cupbearer to the king. He sent him with armed guards on the way. So, so do you see God is moving the hearts of people as he will to accomplish his particular purposes, even the hearts of pagan kings. God holds the hearts of all kings in his hands and he uses them as he will to accomplish his purposes. Isn't that a great reminder this morning that, that God moves 
And God works to accomplish his purposes, even in ways that we can't see, even in ways where we can't imagine he's doing his work. That is a great promise to hang on to this morning. It really is. Because we all experience times when we, we don't exactly understand what's happening in our lives. We don't exactly know why we're walking through a particular season, knowing that God is at work, knowing that God is moving in the midst of our prayers is so comforting, isn't it? When you wake up at night and you're thinking about this or that and your heart can have a tendency to become anxious about it, isn't it a comforting thought to know that God hears your every prayer And that God moves in the hearts of people to accomplish his will. That encourages me so much, church. That we can take comfort and hope from God's promise to always accomplish his will. Well, we pick up the narrative this morning at the end of chapter 2. Nehemiah has arrived in Jerusalem. He's inspected the walls. Um, pretty much by himself, he and a few others. He kept it on the DL for the time being. And now he's addressing the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and others who were there to do the work. So we're reading Nehemiah 2, starting at verse 17 through the end of the chapter. As I read, I remind you, this is God's perfect, holy, and authoritative word. Then I said to them, verse 17... You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we, we arrive here as people who are in need. We arrive here this morning as people who are hungry, Lord. Hungry for you. Hungry for the promises that you make to us. Hungry to be reminded of the truths of your word. And Lord, this truth reminds us That you're always working, you're always accomplishing. And so help us to have faith this morning as we read this narrative, as we see how you provided for the people of Israel. Lord, help us too to be joined in the work that you want us to do. We may not be called to build a physical wall this morning, but you're calling us to build the kingdom of God. And so we pray together, Lord, inspire us by your word and help us. We pray together. In Jesus' name, amen. On the screen, you'll see an artist's rendering of what is perhaps the city of Jerusalem as it was beginning to be rebuilt. The task of uh, rebuilding the walls again was a very significant task. 
Now, you might ask, why is the rebuilding of the walls, as you look at that picture, why is the rebuilding of the walls so important? Well, because this was Jerusalem. This was the city of God. The glory of the Lord had been in this place. To see it in disrepair, to see it broken down, it was a disgrace to God and to His glory. It was a disgrace to His people. That's why Nehemiah wept. Partly why. He wept and fasted when he considered the glorious walls of the city of God now broken down. It reflected so poorly on who God was. It wasn't an accurate reflection of God's care for His people. It didn't represent the Lord, in fact, at all. Plus, it left the city quite indefensible and open to attacks from all sides, which could lead to further desecration. So after assessing the situation, Nehemiah says to them in in chapter 2, verse 17, as we just read, he says this, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer Derision. See, there was this righteous desire awakened in Nehemiah by God himself to come and restore the glory of God to, to Israel and to Jerusalem in particular. God was not glorified by the city looking like that. It didn't reflect on his glory. The temple was rebuilt. That was part A and, and part B was the rebuilding of the walls. And notice how God As he led Nehemiah, he also led the people to respond to the vision that God had granted to Nehemiah. And look at their concise response in verse 18. What do they say? Let us rise up and build. God gave them a heart for the vision that was in front of them. They were united in this vision for restored Jerusalem. Now... There's a second picture I want to show you. It's a picture of the breadth of this project. So it's a picture of the walls surrounding Jerusalem. This was a project that was far too big for any one person. This must be uh, a united mission for this to happen. This was a huge undertaking. It required a team effort. There had to be a common vision, a shared vision. Therefore, the people got together And they did their part to share in the mission that was before them. I want to ask you to to now read with me just a few verses in chapter 3 as we get an idea of how people came together. So, Nehemiah 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshebazul, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Banna, repaired. And on and on and on. You would probably enjoy me trying to navigate uh, all of chapter 3 with those names, but I'm not going to do it. Um, Basically, chapter 3 is the story of all the people getting together to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. 
priests rose up. Verse 1 tells us that. Men from Jericho built. Goldsmiths. Uh, a governor and his rulers in verse 7. A leader and his daughter in verse 12. Levites, brothers, merchants, all coming together to work together toward that one common vision. They replaced the stones that had been torn down by Nebuchadnezzar. They repaired the gates. They restored the wood. They set the doors, the bolts, and the bars. And this glory was returning to Jerusalem. Some groups, it says, were repairing the walls right near their house. That, that's always a good way to do it so that it ensures that it gets completed. Some were, were working um, in other places. They were all united, coming together to rebuild the wall. Throughout chapter 3, we, we read of all the different groups that are coming together. All these Jewish folk coming to rebuild the wall. By, by chapter 4, we discover that through their labors, I want to read to you one verse, um, the wall was joined together to half its height for the people. This is what it says. For the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. They shared and they owned the common vision. They used their abilities to accomplish the mission that was before them. They were instructed and they caught the vision and they took off with the vision as one man. I did want to note, as I was reading through chapter 3 a number of times, um, these were not all stonemasons, by the way. As I said, priests, nobles, uh, people of all walks of life. I noted in verse 8, there was also a perfumer. Uh, look at verse 8. There was a perfumer that joined in the work. I, I didn't know that that was a profession back then. Hey, what do you do? I'm a perfumer. <laughs> well, the perfumer um, got busy and worked on the wall as well. Every person, regardless of their ability, using what God had given them in the mighty effort to rebuild the walls, accomplishing this goal. When God's people hold a common vision for a common goal, it is amazing. In fact, there's no limit to what God can accomplish when God's people have a common vision and a common goal and work together. Arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, work together for the glory of God. That's why sharing a common vision is so incredibly important. And that's why we this morning at the start of a new school year, it's you know the kind of the start of new things this fall, we want to take time to review our, our common vision here at Grace Community Church. It's important that we do this from time to time. Why? Why? Because we can all lose sight. We can all drift in our vision and mission. And it's, it's critical that we do this to be reminded of, oh yeah, what are we about as a church body. If someone were to ask you who's never been to our church, he's like, okay, Grace Community Church, what are you guys all about? What would you say? How would you answer them? Well, our mission statement is a concise phrase that sums up the mission of God's people here in Souderton. It says this, um, mission of GCC is to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, you might think, now why is that our mission statement? From where do we get that in Scripture? Well, it's basically a condensed 
summary of the commission that Jesus gave in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Right after his um, resurrection and before his ascension back into heaven, Jesus gathered his disciples together and gave them a commission, not just for their lives, but for everyone who would call themselves a disciple of Jesus Christ. He said this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you see in that verse, as it's on the screen, do you see where we get the making and maturing of disciples? You see right there in the underlined verse 19. He says, go and make disciples. And then in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's maturing disciples, growth in obedience and love for Jesus Christ. So these are the very words of Christ. Dear church, this is our mission to make and mature disciples of Christ for the glory of God. So we're going to talk about this for a few minutes, and we're going to take it one section at a time. So we're going to start with making disciples. What is making disciples? What, what are we to be about in making disciples? Well, as you see it on the screen, it all begins with the gospel. Only God makes disciples, right? We don't have the ability to convert anyone. Only God brings people to faith. We cannot do it. However, God uses the church. He uses people like you and me to do that. And he does that through the powerful working of the gospel. In fact, I'm probably not going to say anything new here this morning, but I just want to remind you that the gospel is the means by which God makes disciples. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for all who will believe. That's what Paul in Romans 1.16 reminds us. As we proclaim the gospel in God's church and in our lives personally, disciples are made as they are led to faith. As we proclaim the gospel in all of our relationships with our neighbors, with our friends, co-workers, whoever will hear us, Because we have real hope within us, the gospel is the means by which disciples are being made. Now, some of you might say, well, really, is that the only way to make disciples? Yes, it is the only way to make disciples. Why? Because if people aren't aware that there is a God, they won't follow him. And if they're not aware that God will judge sin, they're not going to turn their heart over to Christ Because why would they need to be? And they're not going to be able to believe in someone that they haven't heard. And so the gospel is what we declare. The gospel is the start of it all. The proclamation of the truth that Jesus Christ came into this world. The God-man who lived a perfect life died a substitutionary death in our place that by faith in him, we might have our sins forgiven, our relationship restored with the Father. This is the gospel, and this is the basis of how anyone comes to the Lord. In fact, um, on your way out today, I printed the seven shared values 
of sovereign grace. It's just a one, uh, two-sided, one-page sheet. I just want you to take it and be reminded of the shared values that we, that we enjoy in sovereign grace churches. And number one on that list is that we are a gospel-centered people because everything flows to and from the gospel. This is why we, we have our One Life cards. We hand them out at the beginning of the year so that we can write names on those One Life cards of people that we're praying that would receive the gospel. That's why we, we do so many of the things that we do, like the bridge course. Uh, the bridge course is such an effective way to introduce people to the faith of Christ and to introduce them to the gospel, the life-changing hope of the world. Sometimes I think you might get tired of hearing all about the bridge course, but we, we proclaim it because it, it's such a helpful tool. And these are the ways that we're seeking to make disciples because the gospel is in the bridge course. It's why we're committed, by the way, to uh, outreach, both local and international. Um, in the past year and a half, we've done drink outreaches at the park, We've done bread outreaches, going door-to-door, knocking on people's doors, offering them fresh-baked bread and an invitation to the bridge and to our church. Uh, Some of you have taken up street evangelism in the local community. Uh, There are other ways that we're doing that, but we're committed to reaching out to make disciples. But, you know, we're not a myopic people. We're a people who have a grand vision for the glory of God and the building of the kingdom. And so we give, I know you know this, but just hear it again, we give 10% of everything that you give, we give it away to sovereign grace. And what does that do? A lot of that money goes to building and planting churches all over the world. Remember two weeks ago, we saw an update on Southeast Asia, how God is moving there. How God is, is equipping and raising up pastors to plant churches in communities where there is no gospel witness. That we can have missionaries in Thailand where people who are bowing down to these little statues on the ground. We have a missionary friend who's there. They were here about five or six years ago. Fred Wendelmeyer, you may recall him. He writes of people bowing, just walking along the road, stopping and bowing in the dirt to an idol like this tall, just made out of wood. They're living their life for that thing. The gospel has something to say, that man, that woman bowing in the dirt to a piece of wood. And we're so grateful that we can give of what the Lord has given to us and, and sow it out. Sow it out into the world. It, I mean, 10% is a lot of our budget, right? It's a lot of money. And the Lord is calling us to do it, and we're so excited to do it because uh, this church doesn't exist just for itself because we are committed to seeing the gospel go forward around the world. In November, actually, uh, I'm excited to announce Ed O'Mara is going to be here with us on a Sunday morning to, to give a live update of how things are going in Italy. Um, and uh, he's coming in just before our pastor's conference in uh, Florida that week. And I'm just excited for you to hear how God is working and moving in Italy and establishing and planting new churches for the glory of God. That comes through your faithful giving. It comes through intentionally seeking to reach out to our community. The final bullet you see on the screen is community engagement. Community engagement. It's, it's why we're doing things for well over a decade, like helping to, to run the Moyer 5K each year, the, the Fete en Blanc, the party in white last year was, uh, uh, 
an opportunity to engage with our community as people came out and enjoyed that time. A new initiative we want to um, invite you to pray over is uh, there's an opportunity that we have with the third Friday, Fridays in Souderton. Uh, the Lord has uh, moved on our hearts to, to seek to set up a, a booth at the third Fridays in Souderton. What is third Fridays? They shut down Main Street in Souderton here. And, uh, you know, so no cars can roll through and, and food trucks and vendors of all types and all kinds of groups. The community comes out for this thing. And so what we want to do is just set up a table and with a banner that says, need prayer, question mark, need prayer. And, and people will walk up like, yeah, I need prayer. Thank you very much. We'll have invitations to the church and the bridge course. We'll have cider and, and stuff to give away. Uh, if you'd like to be a part of that, let us know. We'd love to have you be mobilized to engage with the community so that more people, so that more people who are, who are, who are dead in their sins this morning and on a pathway to hell, so that more people can know the hope and joy of sins forgiven. That's why we're doing this. And so, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? I don't know, but maybe it's to set aside time to come out on the third Friday and just be there to pray with somebody as they walk by. Maybe it's to, to usher. Maybe it's to serve in some other way. Maybe it's to teach the children as we're so grateful for what's going on right now. I don't know. But, but God is calling us to make Disciples, and these are ways that we're seeking to do it by engaging with our community and seeing the gospel go forward around the world. Well, that's, that's making disciples. What about maturing disciples? Uh, again, I probably won't say anything new here, but I just want to remind us of why we do what we do in, in big swaths here, the children's ministry. Uh, we understand, as a pastoral team, Chris and I, we understand that Scripture places the overarching emphasis of discipleship uh, for children on their parents, and in particular on fathers, as fathers are called to be the spiritual heads and leaders of their homes, taking up that mantle of God-given leadership to serve your family by discipling your children. That's how we view our children's ministry. We see parents as the main disciplers, but the church wants to come alongside of parents especially fathers, and encourage them with teaching that is biblical, teaching that is gospel-centered, and teaching that will help your children to see the grand story of God's grace in all through the Old Testament and New Testament. We don't see the, the stories of the Old Testament as kind of like isolated moral stories that are like, hey, dare to be a Daniel, as much as we see God being faithful to his promise through the ups and downs of Israel to preserve a remnant through whom the Messiah would ultimately come. And as we hold the gospel in front of your kids week by week, we pray that they would respond to the great work of the gospel as we, uh, as we see the gospel in every single lesson. We choose our curriculum carefully for that purpose. And uh, again, while we're talking about children's ministry, just again, thank you for all the many servants that we have in this church working and laboring to teach our kids the gospel week by week. It's similar in our youth parent ministry. The church also wants to come alongside of the parents um, and encourage them by equipping and teaching doctrinal truths that will just stir the hearts of our kids. We teach on biblical topics, teach the youth how to study the Bible for themselves, to equip and encourage them with lifelong habits of reading and enjoying God's Word. 
Do you know that if you get into a, a habit when you're a teenager, typically those are habits, assuming it's a good one, uh, those, are, those are habits that last your entire life. Do you know that? Of course there's exceptions, but that's gen- generally true, that habits that we come into in our early years are formed for the rest of our lives. I wanted my kids to be raised in a church that encourages them to study and read the Word of God. And by grace, all of our kids will study and love and know the Word of God. We also teach through the New City Catechism that every kid might go through the whole course of the New City Catechism, that they may see and experience the grand story of God at work in His Word. Thirdly, we see care groups. Meeting house to house in the midweek is a scriptural theme all throughout the New Testament. The Christian life, you know this, but just be reminded, the Christian life is not one of solitude, but one of great and vibrant community. It's about sharing life together. It's about opening up our lives to one another. It's about walking with one another through the ups and the downs of life. I will say it again, probably the most moving time, one of the most moving times in my 19 years as your pastor was about eight years ago when we were giving Micah, our son, weekly chemotherapy shots and he would run away from us on Wednesday nights at nine o'clock when we did that shot and one night. One night you all were standing on my front doorstep at 9 o'clock. I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you how meaningful that was. We didn't even talk because we were busy trying to get Micah. I saw you through the window. I felt such support. We felt such support and grace from you. And I just thank God for you. Because you're a church that does this. You're a church that lives life together and you're a church that cares about people. And and I'm so grateful for each one of you. I am aware though from time to time that we lose sight of these things, don't we? I'm aware that from time to time we, we get busy in our lives and, and we can, whether we're aware of it or not, we can neglect the community that God has called us to. We can make a habit of not going to care group. We can say, yeah, I, I'm just too busy. And I, I'm not trying to lay on any guilt. I'm trying to say when we walk in the community that God has, has created for us, it is a blessing. Yes, there are challenges. Yes, there are challenges. We're, we're not perfect yet. But with those challenges comes great grace, dear friends. And I, I just want to encourage anyone who has, who has dropped off from attending care group, oh, please go back. There is grace for you there. If you've not ever attended a care group, can I encourage you to get there? Because this is where, I mean, Sunday meeting and conversations in the hall, that's wonderful. Those are all great. But you know, we can only get so far on a Sunday morning. Getting into one another's lives requires going deeper. And that's what God has for us as a church. It has, God has this for us. And what do we do at Care Group? What are we fundamentally doing? We're applying 
the word of God to our lives. That's what care group is about. Yes, fellowship. Yes, prayer. Yes, enjoying good snacks and stuff like that. But basically, it's applying the word of God to our lives. So think about the church in a year's time. If we, if we, if we all just came to church and heard sermons, but didn't do the hard work of applying them to our lives and then walking in accountability and care with one another, like, hey, how's that going? You know, if, if we just listened to the word, we would be in danger of becoming like those that James in his book warned about and just being a hearer of the word and not a doer only. So what is the purpose of care groups? It's for fellowship, yes, around applying the word of God to our hearts. The word that we hear on Sundays, let's, let's now we've heard it, now let's do the hard work. And it is hard work, friends, because it's really easy to hear the word. It's a whole nother thing to do the hard work of applying it to our hearts and to our lives. And that's why care groups exist. That's why we're together as God's people. So I just want to encourage you, if, you're, if you've never been or if you once were, but now you have dropped off, come back to care group. Don't deprive yourself of the grace that God wants to give to you. And I hope you can hear this from me as your pastor. Don't deprive other, you know, don't deprive yourself of the gifts, but also don't deprive other people of the gift of you. You have gifts to serve. You have ways that you can contribute. And so, again, not guilt, rather a vision of what God's called us to in maturing as disciples. We have prayer. You've heard the three opportunities that we have for group prayer. Thursday morning men at the office. Friday morning ladies. And then uh, Sunday morning for all. We, let, let's take advantage of these opportunities to pray and mature in our faith as we pray. We have equipping events in the last 18 months. We've done a marriage seminar, parenting seminars, equip classes, uh, men's and women's breakfasts. Why do we do those? Just to have a really good breakfast? Well, partly. But also, and much more importantly to gather together and be strengthened and encouraged. Discipleship groups, groups that rise up for specific seasons and purposes like the men's purity group that gathered on Thursday to walk together as we strive after the Lord, all kinds of ways. Why do these things matter? They matter because as we participate in them, as we engage in them, we're like putting another brick on the wall. God's called us to build something here. It's the kingdom of God. And as we participate, we grow together. We walk together. We are, we are the people of God and called to grow. And I want to now call Amy Body. And I'm going to stand next to her. Come on up, Amy. Amy's going to share a testimony of how God is at work in her life. And then particularly how... God has called her and how God has used you in that calling. So, um, Amy, come and share with us. Thank you. Four weeks ago, I felt God leading me to answer an ad for Samaritan's Purse. You know, the folks that provide our um, Operation Christmas Child with box tree boxes. They were looking for a bilingual Spanish administrative assistant in their Boone, North Carolina office. God's direction was so clear. I was to respond to the ad and I did. 
Within two days, I began a series of three different interviews with at least seven different people. I never had so many interviews in my entire life. <laughs> All came. And here I am, a week later. All my stuff is packed in a pod waiting to be picked up. And I start the drive to North Carolina at the end of this week. I am so grateful for you, for our pastoral team, their spouses, their kids. They have provided such a warm, loving community for me. Having served with the, our committed children's ministry team, who honestly hold the care and growth of your kiddos very near and dear to your heart, to their hearts. And lastly, to you, the body of Christ. As I think of all the ways you have loved and cared for me, I'm just blown away. Mm -hmm. You've invited me to be a part of your families, You've encouraged me to grow in my faith, and you've given me the courage and opportunities to do so. You've comforted me in some very difficult times. You've blessed me with meals. You've checked in on me when I wasn't here. Your kids have sent me notes and love cards. Not to mention to be greeted by this humongous, just kiddos, just loving up on you. How could I, how could I not appreciate the work that God is doing to you? I can't count the ways how you've made me feel so loved and cared for. You are indeed family. Your care for me has been phenomenal, and there just aren't enough words for me to tell you that. Church, you have overwhelmed me with your loving care all these years. I pray God's blessing on each and every one of you. I really am so grateful for my church family. Thank you for your love. I just so miss you. But this isn't a good Thank you so much, Amy, for sharing your heart with us. We, we pray God's blessing on you as you go to Boone and relocate and start a new job. And in particular, use your many gifts to serve um, that ministry that we we love, we participate with. Church, I want you to know that testimonies like that don't happen unless the church is loving one another, unless the church is seeking to accomplish the mission of making and maturing disciples. 
I think it's fitting that we hear from the Apostle Paul here when he's exhorting the church in Ephesus. He says this, Speaking the truth in love, we are, here's a mission, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body, what? Grow. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As Amy gets in her car this coming week and drives to North Carolina, she does so with, uh, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, but half of your heart is totally excited for what the Lord is doing, and the other half is, is grieving because she's leaving us. And that's because you have loved well. And dear friends, thank you for the way that you've done that. And let us continue one by one to strive all the more to love in the way that honors God and fulfills this great commission to make and mature disciples for Jesus Christ. Let me, let me move us toward a, two quick thoughts for application. How do we keep the vision going over time? Do, do you know how long it took to build the wall of Jerusalem? Someone yell it out if you know. Okay, 52 days. 52 days. Now, when you see that big picture of the wall of Jerusalem, that was like, wow, they were moving. Indeed, they were. There was tons of people involved. 52 days, they built it. Now, it's one thing when you're building something physical and it takes you 52 days to do it. It's one thing to keep the mission before you. I mean, it's important. And we'll see as we go through the narrative. Nehemiah had his work cut out for him in order to see that wall get accomplished. There was opposition there came. There all kinds of things. We'll get to it later. But suffice it to say, it was 52 days. We've been together as Grace Community Church for 24 years. We are seeking, yes, praise the Lord, next year is an important year for us. Uh, we are seeking by the grace of God... We're seeking by the grace of God to to be faithful to the mission that he's called us to here. And and, and we're not putting one stone on top of another. We're, We're doing things like making and maturing disciples for Jesus Christ. And from time to time, we lose perspective. We lose vision. So I just want to offer two thoughts by way of application. How do we keep the vision clear? We, number one, daily draw near to Christ and to his gospel. There's no better way than I can think of than to daily drink from the the life-giving fountains of Christ. There's no better way to keep the mission of Christ, God's great commission, in our hearts than day by day rising and drinking from Christ. He is full of mercy. You know this. And loves to pour out his grace upon you day by day. As we do that, we will be. We will be refreshed by his love. We will be renewed by his spirit. And we will be propelled into the work of his kingdom. I don't believe it's possible to daily feed on Christ 
and not have an ever-deepening appreciation for the forgiveness that God has granted to you. Because when we have a deepening appreciation of the forgiveness that God has given to us, do you know what it's going to do? It's going to affect the relationships immediately around us, like those in our home. As we stay near to Christ and His gospel day by day, it will make us more grateful people. It will make us more forgiving people because we've been reminded of how God is forgiving us and it will change our lives. It will change our lives, dear friends, daily drawing near to Christ and his gospel. Daily staying near to your Damascus Road experience where you, by the grace of God, were knocked off your high horse and you were confronted with the reality of your own sin and of the gracious provision of forgiveness from Christ. Dear church, and I'm preaching myself, stay near to the gospel and to Jesus Christ. As we stay near to him, the mission will roll out of us. That's how we keep the mission rolling one day at a time as we daily commune with our Lord and enjoy him each day. Thought number two, by way of application, prioritize your involvement in building God's kingdom. Prioritize it. We were just reminded of this, by the way, in our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, when part of what Jesus taught us to pray is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That has been a wonderful thing for me, just to do the teaching on that and then to be reflective of that in my life. I'm, I'm trying day by day to say, Lord, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine. Other things, dear friends, you know this. Other things will always be pulling at our time. If we drift, we don't drift toward the Lord. We drift away from the Lord. So this is a simple reminder to prioritize the things of the kingdom of God. Again, by way of example, it might be giving up a Friday night to go to the third Friday. It might be you teaching a class. It may be you greeting at the door. It may be you reaching out to your neighbors. You know how you you say, I should really reach out to them. I want to share with you one quick story, and this is, this is for the grace of God. It's just um, our neighbors had a baby, and, you know, life is busy, and you're like, oh, man, we got to get over there and say something. So the other night we saw them outside, and, um, and the young adults were coming over for a care group, and there was this big tray of, um, of whoopie pies that were graciously provided to us, fresh-made whoopie pies, and I was like, Young adults, I'm so sorry, these are gone. And I ran outside and gave them to our neighbors because they were out there and it was five minutes before care group. But I just, you know, so whoever made those whoopie pies, by the way, thank you so much. My neighbors really enjoyed them. And, uh, and it's just those things are going to happen more and more and more as we're walking with our Lord. Let me put up one final slide. I think it sums up what we're trying to say this morning. In all that we do, Grace Community Church, in all that we do, our goal is to enjoy and glorify God as we joyfully participate in his great commission to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. In all that we do, all of our efforts, all the reasons why we gather, why we meet in our houses while we have youth parent and children's ministry, care group, and all that we do, our goal is to enjoy and glorify God as we joyfully participate in his great commission to make 
and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. I want to call the worship team back on the stage even as we prepare to sing our closing song. Beloved, beloved dear church, let us by grace resolve by the mercy of Christ to not live for ourselves, not to live for our own comfort, not to live for our own ease, not to live for what the world considers valuable, but for what God considers valuable. Not to the building of our own little kingdom, but for the the building of the kingdom of God. Let us be about the business of filling this great commission, of using our time and our energy and our resources, not so that we can be looked at and noticed, but so that God can be looked at and revered and worshipped as the God that he is. At Grace Community Church, we want to see the gospel advance in the church and outside of the church into this community and out of this community and all around the world as we participate in the work of God's mission. That means prioritizing our schedules. That means rearranging things so that other stuff doesn't crowd out how God wants to use you. Because he wants to use you. Today, now, here, to do the work, the joyful, great and glorious work of building his kingdom. Would you stand with me as we pray and ask the Lord to do this? Lord, would you help us? Would you grant us grace to dwell with you day by day? Would you help us to have a thirst for the the fountains of Christ that we might long to live in communion with him? Lord, for those of us who have lost a love even for your word, Lord, would you rekindle the flame in our hearts that we would rise and meet with you day by day and experience again your love and mercy and grace as we commune with you. And as that love for you finds expression in our our planners, our, our calendars, Lord, would you bring us together with joy, not not out of compulsion, but joy, Because we know that you've called us into a life together. A life of shared mission and shared joy as we encourage one another. And then as we hit the streets of our community and engage with people who don't know the hope and joy of the forgiveness of their sins. Lord, help us. We want to do this work. But sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we get idols in our lives. Idols that take over and rule us. And so we lay down those things today and we take up this glorious cause of being a participant in building your kingdom one moment at a time. Lord, use our hands, use our mouths, use our feet, use our mind and our hearts and our wills to be about your business, to walk in your ways and to reflect your glory. We pray this 
and ask this in the name of Christ, our God and Savior. Amen.